Hello and welcome back to the Motorsport Baithak podcast. I'm your host Didi. Joining me as always is Vedant and for the first time ever at Motorsport Baithak, we have a special guest joining us for this week's podcast. It is my honor to welcome Kunal Shah. For those who may not be as familiar with his work, Kunal has over 15 years of experience in various roles across the sports industry, including but not limited to marketing, public relations, sponsorship acquisition and activation and talent management. He worked for over 5 years with the Force India Formula 1 team between 2010 and 2015. as the general manager of marketing and sponsorships and as a director of the team's driver academy during which he launched the one from a billion hunt a pan india driver training program that unearthed and developed the racing talents of jehan darula and arjun mani he also consults with via sport on their f1 broadcast and content while also managing their relationship with motorsport teams drivers circuits and other stakeholders he has been an f1 columnist for various media houses for over a decade that's his own formula 1 blog which was rated as one of the top 25 sports blogs to read and co-host the inside line f1 podcast in today's episode we'll be talking with kunal about f1 the state of motorsport in india and his journey in the motorsport industry so let's grab some chai take our seats ready our questions at that and dive right into the conversation hello and welcome to the show kunal it is an absolute privilege to have this opportunity to to have this conversation with you and i can't wait to hear your insights into the world of motorsport but before we get into anything important i have to ask you have you recovered from the abu dhabi fiasco and are you ready for the 2022 season Well, I don't think everyone's going to recover from Abu Dhabi until and unless we actually know what the FIA, uh, you know, uh, makes public of their investigation. And it's a bit of a farce that, you know, it's become uh, an, uh, you know, a Mercedes versus FIA or Hamilton versus FIA, given the whole timing of when the FIA wants to come up publicly with their release and so on. But yeah, frankly, I wish it was handled better. uh am i ready to look forward to 2022 yes i i think so you know in a couple of weeks time we're going to have the first uh, 2022 cars unveiled and and so on and it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun new era for formula 1 a much awaited new era for formula 1 i would say yep absolutely we are also looking forward to the uh, months to come uh, and in, you know in our opinion i think uh, the next 12 months are going to be the most exciting months for motorsport you know f1 and uh, and otherwise uh, but uh, i think uh, one question that has been on everyone's mind is you know is lewis hamilton uh, coming back to formula 1 in 2022 and uh, you know if you could shed some light on that you know what lewis hamilton might be going through uh, i think you know uh, we all could benefit from uh, understanding um, how you know this particular event has uh, really affected a seven time world champion who's been in the sport for over a decade now so frankly i you know i stand with zack brown when he says he wouldn't be surprised if lewis hamilton walks away and uh, the reason is is more than racing i would say the reason is more about integrity the reason is more about fairness and what is the fairness that we are talking about here uh it's about the fact that there were certain decisions that were made in Abu Dhabi which we all know now and they've been dissected by pretty much every pundit every columnist every every broadcaster and so on so i'm not going to sort of dissect into that again but the 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 big question here is um you know is formula 1 or was formula 1 fair will they continue to be fair and you know unfortunately given the whole hamilton mercedes juggernaut that we've seen where they won pretty much everything that was there to win in the hybrid turbo era or the first part of the hybrid turbo era 2014 onwards some people are just happy to have a new winner but hey is that really how you want to crown a new winner is should that be the way formula 1 crowns new winners in in the time to come 
and if that's what one believes is the case then you know 2021 it was uh, hamilton who was not given his eighth title if if that's the word i may use could it be in 23 verstappen is denied his title you know hey you won two titles back to back let somebody else win and then we are sort of moving towards calling it entertainment and then I'd rather be watching Big Boss or or something else, you know, where <laughs> than 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 end up watching, you know, watching Formula One. So that those ethos is is what the big question is. And I was explaining this to someone just a couple of days ago in person. And w- why what Michael Massey did in my mind was not right was because you know he operated out of a framework which Formula One has never operated in. And I actually gave a very simple example, which I'm going to repeat uh, here, because at least in my view, it seems like, you know, a good example, right? So let's assume, you know, Didi, you've got a car and you have, you know, a, you know, you have a button uh, on, on the car key, which you press and the car doors unlock. So you press the button, doors unlock, you open the door, you sit in the car, you put the ignition key inside, you crank it up, and then the car starts, right? So that is a framework you have evolved ever since you got your driver's license or even before that, because <laughs> hey, to do that, you didn't really need a license. You could just yeah. do that with you know whoever was willing to let you do that. Now imagine this, you go and stand in front of your car, right? You press the unlock button on the kitchen and the, the car ignites and suddenly you're like, okay, wow, the car is not supposed to do that. <laughs> and that's sort of what happened that, you know, the framework of application of rules went a little awry and then suddenly it's like hey but guys when last did we do this when last did this happen and there is no precedent of that so yes i think i said i was over abu dhabi but clearly my answers <laughs> prove that i'm not so if there is any psychiatrist or psychologist listening in yes i'm probably not, probably not over abu dhabi right now as well yeah, and uh, I, I think we all have we, we all are trying, but you know we keep keep going back to that conversation, uh, I guess. But you know, uh, ob- the obvious next question would be, you know, how do you propose that uh, FIA resolve this issue of inconsistency uh, in the application of sporting and technical regulations? Now, obviously, you know, we saw that throughout the course of the season. Uh, you, arguably, you can say that uh, you know uh, the FIA applied the rules inconsistently to bring the championship closer, and then used that same inconsistency to decide the championship uh, at Abu Dhabi. And, you know, Michael Massey has been under fire since uh, that incident. So what is your proposal? Because I think uh, part of that is will also uh, determine, determine whether or not Lewis Hamilton is back in 2022. Yeah, so that's a very good point. What will it take for Hamilton to be back in 2022? And it's one thing to remember that, yes, the FIA will make public their investigations on the 18th of March, which is the first free practice uh, session of the 2022 Bahrain Grand Prix, the first Grand Prix of the season. But I wouldn't be surprised if the teams and drivers already know what's going to be made public. So for people thinking that now it's the FIA holding Lewis Hamilton ransom, uh, you know, with their findings about making a commitment to, to 2022 and so on, I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. So there's going to be a public facing of things and there's going to be a private facing of things. And of course, we'll never know what eventually happens in, in the private facing of things. So that's that's one way of sort of just looking at the timeline, right? 
how can the FIA be more consistent? Now, that's a million dollar question. Uh, you know, if there was uh, Naval Ravikant or Balaji Srinivasan on, on this uh, podcast, they'll say, let's bring in machine learning and AI and <laughs> let's build some blockchain technology and something. And I have no idea of these things. Okay, I must admit, so that we get more consistent, more, more, uh, more, uh, you know, more within the frameworks of what we've seen or what we expect. But uh, the truth is, uh, I would say that they will look at doing two things. The first thing is they will empower uh, Michael Massey a little more and they will sort of strengthen his team uh, that much more. So they will sort of shield him from the team bosses, which is what they should anyway do. But they will give him more support in his decision making because one needs to understand that it's Michael Massey is just the public face of race control, as we call it. But there are wise old men and women who actually sit and advise him on what's happening, much like uh, what we see, you know, when the FI shows the FI or the F1 shows the FI cam and there are lots of race directors sitting there and, and sort of doing their thing. So that's race control and they will strengthen the race control team uh, by giving Massey more uh, more support. I don't think they will let go of Massey because, you know, if they let go of Massey from his role, it's one way of the FI saying, hey, we made, we made a mistake. And then if they go down that road, it'll then become that if you made a mistake, can you overturn the decisions? And of course, you can't go back in time and and do things. And one of the other things they must consider, and I know there's, there's pros and cons to this as well, is can they have more permanent driver stewards, right? And uh, instead of having, you know, a pool of driver stewards to bank in from each time, can a permanent driver, you know, permanent driver stewards just travel everywhere? And that may not necessarily be a very wise idea as well. I mean, it's just that because the current approach is not working, let's try the opposite approach of that and see if that works, right? But that may not be the best way to approach uh, this as well. Because, hey, what happens is could human biases then come in, right? Like, uh, you know, like that, you know, if somebody's a Dutch and, you know, certainly the Dutch driver, Dutch steward votes against or for Max. You could miss, you know, read into these things and and so on. Much like the sport of cricket, you know, they try and have neutral umpires and and so on. So, yes, lots of uh, things for the FI to consider. And you mentioned sporting, you mentioned technical, and I, I can also turn around and say that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the 2021 Formula One season uh, challenged uh, Formula One on several grounds. You know. We just spoke about uh, sporting regulations, uh, especially when it came to wheel-to-wheel battles. And, you know, given that everyone watches Formula One for wheel-to-wheel battles, that's one part of the regulations we have to get correct. The other sporting regulation, which sort of will get corrected in due course, is what happened in Spa. You could have two races under a safety car, call it a race, award half points. Uh, so, you know, fans have don't have to get refunds and various other, you know, contractual clauses that sort of safeguard people. And then, of course, technical clauses as well that will, so yeah, technical challenges, you know, whether it was flexi wings, whether it was uh, pit stops, whether it was DRS infringements and so on. So uh, eventually, I think Formula One will come out to be a stronger sport once it tides over all the shortcomings it had in 2021, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I mean definitely that... from Formula One has a lot to do over the, you know, winter and before the, I mean, even 
during 2022 because all these changes won't come in overnight i guess but uh, louis like talking about louis hamilton one last time if louis hamilton leaves formula 1 at the end uh, and does not come back in 2022 he's like formula 1 formula 1 won't just lose its most successful driver but also one of the greatest icons in formula 1 history so i mean for, uh, f1 needs louis hamilton in in the car next season so i mean from what you can understand what what you can tell us how how much does formula 1 need him you know and how will they make make sure he stays the making sure he stays is all about showing that hey we are still fair what we happened in what we did in abu dhabi was entirely fair although there can be question marks on that and hey how we these are the changes we're bringing in to make sure that even that 1% of doubt or 0.1% of doubt about fairness never comes up again so that's one way of sort of you know it's it's like a you know it's like a failed relationship you know it's you want to try to re- reconcile and you're saying hey i was a bad boy or a bad girl and you know <laughs> these are the things i want to and trust me and so on so it's going to be about trust building again because i think one of the things that lewis has done and i think people are wrong in interpreting him as a drama queen or a cry baby and whatever i don't think it especially in 2021 i don't think it was that i would say that i i would say that if he if any driver was done this i would expect similar behavior from such a driver beat lewis beat max beat whoever i mean i i fail to think what max would have done if this would have happened to him you know what red bull would have done what christian horner would have done of, of course i'm glad it it, it you know it's what's happened has happened so that's that's one thing about you know how do they make sure lewis stays and of course they need lewis to stay in in formula 1 if he leaves he will whether he says it or not it will be known he left because something wrong was done to him while he was going to win his eighth title right and that will bring about a lot of question mark into you know the the is formula 1 a sport is it an entertainment are races fixed and we've seen race fixes you know races being fixed before so liberty media while spending so much time energy effort money on marketing the sport you know uh you know it's like they'll keep marketing the sport as they can but if people do not believe in the product then you can only do so much more as marketing right so they need to do what it takes to make sure lewis hamilton stays in in formula 1 but of course you know i'm i'm also in this stage where i'm like hey let's have some fun let's make sure uh, or let's assume lewis uh, is not going to race then i want to see how mercedes ends up fixing the lewis hamilton not racing for a season problem as well you know he might say i'm going to take a sabbatical I, i i'm emotionally disturbed with what happened and why not and you know they're saying could esteban ocon get into the mercedes car some people of course are hoping that it's a german driver by the name of sebastian vettel who gets to race in in mercedes but or could it be the super sub nico halkenberg you know so who knows <laughs> yeah of course i'm just you know the, the last part about mercedes finding the replacement for lewis seems a very very low probability i would say i think mercedes and daimler and formula 1 fia they will all do what it takes to get lewis I mean, yeah, Lewis is not just an F1 driver. You know, he he transcends F1, uh, and you know, like like Vedant put it, he's he's an icon. 
not just of the sport, but uh, by himself. He's a brand. Uh, and, um, you know, talking about sporting rules and regulations, technical rules and regulations, uh, they're going to be in much more scrutiny next year with, you know, the new rules and regulations and all the teams trying to find loopholes and things like that. But let's let's get the conversation back to the entertainment purpose that you talked about, right? Uh, and something uh, that Liberty Media has done really well over the last three, four years, you know, uh, ever since they came into F1, they have really grown the audience through uh, by, in, by increasing the entertainment value proposition for them. Uh, but at the same time, there are things that, uh, you know, Liberty Media has done that has been under scrutiny. Uh, and, you know, people haven't been on board with uh, all of it. And one of those things uh, has, all, uh, has been sprint races. Uh, going into, you know, the 2022 season, we were told that there'll be six sprint races. But over the last couple of weeks, we have heard news that, you know, rumors coming from the paddock that, you know, F1 might have to scrap the sprint races because uh, the teams might not be on board with the plan. Uh, what are your, what have your thoughts been on the sprint races and how do you look at it? So personally speaking, uh, I would say that, you know, the sprint races, are, it's a bit of a, you know, mixed bag. Sometimes when I read the, uh, you know, read statements like we surveyed fans and they said sprint races were great. I wonder who are these fans that you surveyed? Can I speak to at <laughs> least a couple of them? You know, so the 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 truth is that at the end of the day, uh, I would rather say let's take a step back. Uh, Liberty Media are trying different formats, trying different methods to make every single day of uh, the weekend interesting, to get in more people to watch. Uh, you know, Formula One racing, and if sprint races is one way of doing that, then I think that's pretty fantastic. Uh, should some parts of sprint races change? I would say they should, um, especially this whole thing about the the poles that are the, the fastest driver not necessarily being <laughs> the one who starts on pole position. That that that's something that should stay. And frankly, I'll I'll put it this way: you know, Formula One, the the, the most fun thing is always the start and the opening laps, right? If you're going to get it twice on a Grand Prix weekend, I'm definitely not going to be the one complaining right but yes it's it's it seems a bit of an odd fit because we've been watching you know the sport for so long we are so used to a very regimented format that the slightest bit of change here and there and suddenly we're like oh no 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 this is not the dna formula one i grew up with so that said i'm pretty happy to see what other experiments they they sort of bring up so long as it's not reverse grids yeah, I, I think we're, we're in sort of the similar boat. Uh, I think we're not as much against reverse grids here between Vedant and I, but uh, we're in the similar boat that, you know, we'd still like to see uh, Liberty Media experiment. You know, the teams, I guess, you know, they're the ones who decide, but uh, we'd like to see teams and F1 uh, experiment with the format a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's good to see them, you know, doing this. Uh, hopefully, you know, even if the sprint races don't go forward, uh, we'll see another format come in for a trial phase that may or may not be successful. Uh, but talking about Liberty Media once again, you know, uh, I think the biggest pain point has been uh, not not for the audience, maybe, but the elongation of the race calendar while simultaneously imposing a budget cap on the sport, uh, you know. Uh, and that has, some, that, that has been something that uh, the team personnel have struggled with you know we have had uh, interviews by motorsport.com they interviewed i think a mechanic from a race team uh, you know who, who came out and said that you know uh, our resources are dwindling not just financially but the mental health resources of the team and the way they manage our time it's become really difficult to keep up with this long calendar and i believe that will you know also translate into the way the engineers are functioning after a few years because as you know the development battle gets more and more intense so what are your thoughts on that 
You know, that was a very interesting uh, piece of uh, journalism, I would say, because the truth is that every time you know, I speak to engineers and I speak to people in the paddock, they are just like, what do we do? We just have to go ahead with whatever they plan. And of course, the plan is still to add two more races, you know, make it 25 races in a, in a season. And personally, you know, when I sit through uh, some of the press conferences and media sessions, you can see that towards the end of the triple header, you know, there are people who are just like, God, can you just get over and done with this? Like, you know, I'm tired or especially when you're you know, juggling time zones and, and everything else together. So I think the cost of human capital can never be and should never be underestimated by, by Formula One. Uh, I believe Liberty Media will work with the teams again to try and find solutions to this. And could there be, you know, right now a lot of dependencies are, you know, Formula One's a very people dependent uh, sport. And what do I mean by that? I mean that there is just Lewis Hamilton who can do what a Lewis Hamilton does, right? Similarly, there are people who, you know, uh, within within the team operations uh, who are highly specialized in what they do. Could that be a split that you do as well? You know, you of course have team A and team B and, uh, you know, they are alternating between races and you of course choose where you go to and so on. And then there are, you know, drivers, oh, sorry, there are team principals like Toto Wolf who are talking of the cost of human capital. Whereas there are team principals like Franz Toss saying, if you don't like to work uh, the work environment in Formula One, you're happy to leave. So I personally believe that's not the way to go because it is the human talent that eventually makes Formula One what it is. It is the humans who design, who build these machines, who keep them in proper shape. And then it is, of course, the humans who sit and drive those machines at those supersonic speeds as well. So in the time to come, I have a feeling that Formula One will figure a way to, to help human capital uh, cope with such a strenuous calendar as well. And in fact, from this season as well, they are looking at changes to come in from, uh, you know, by reducing one whole day, uh, you know, at a Grand Prix weekend, which sort of makes it 23 days over the course of the season. And then, of course, when you consider that Monaco goes back into a Friday, Saturday, Sunday format, it becomes 24 days. And when you, you know, people might be like, yeah, it's just a day per race. But the truth is 24 days is literally almost a, a month after a point. So you, you get that couple of extra days at home and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think they will figure solutions towards this, DB. Yeah, I, I hope that is the case. Um, but one one last pain point that remains for, I guess, the audience, you know, regarding the elongated race calendar that comes with that is, uh, I guess, the difference between F1's marketed growth strategy that they want to go into, you know, spaces that they want to create new markets in the U.S., and, uh, you know, in places like China, in Southeast Asia, but at the same time, you know, uh, most of the deals they have struck uh, over the last year, you know, long-term deals uh, they have struck are in the Middle East, uh, which is where, I guess, the money is. So this has been a pain point for the audience because uh, th because of the differentiation between what uh, F1 has been saying they want to do and what they've actually done. So where do you see this going? You know, why why is this happening? And where do you see this going in the future? Are we going to ever go back to tracks like, you know, um, maybe Suzuka more often or Singapore because and even Kota you know even they haven't renewed their contract for this year so or are, are these tracks going to disappear over time 
I don't believe they'll disappear over time. I think Formula One will do what it takes to retain uh, retain its uh, you know glory of being you know racing in so many more countries than any other motorsport, and that's what it also that's what also makes Formula One unique, right? And uh, I would say it's a you know it's a it's a world it's a commercial world they operate in. So if a shake lands up and says, "Hey, I want to be the last race of the season," and here's forty million dollars. I don't see why they shouldn't uh, take the money from the sheikh, right? And at the, at the same time, if if there is a way that they can help uh, the the likes of a Hockenheim ring or a Nürburgring ring uh, figure out deals where they sort of support uh, each other and still host Formula One races, so be it. And then there is, of course, this model of the Miami Grand Prix where Formula One ends up being a more you know a, you know a promoter themselves. So I think Liberty Media doesn't get as much praise and as much applause as they should for finally uh, putting, you know, frameworks in everything they do. And I know frameworks is certainly the buzzword for this episode, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but truth be told, we all work in frameworks in our lives. So, you know, with Bernie, it was like, um, I want to go race in Brazil and you would find a deal in Brazil or something like that. But Liberty Media is saying we need more short, short, dealings uh, to secure the future of, of the sport. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of how Liberty Media have sort of changed things around. Yeah, same here. Uh, I mean, I mean uh, talking about, you know, tracks and uh, the calendar and the composition of the calendar, basically, from your perspective, how likely is it that we will get a race in Africa, in Kailami, most likely? And, you know, when might it happen? Because... Lewis Hamilton wants a race there, and frankly, Africa is the only continent without a race in Formula One, which is a global sport. So, I mean, just a side question, I guess. But how likely do you see it happening? I mean, I hope uh, there is a race that returns. Uh, there is a race that returns to um, uh, South Africa, or in this case, Africa as a continent, since that's your question. And of course, uh, there is uh, this hope that it is back in 2023 and, and so on. And the truth is, um, so long as Formula One gets what they want, which is money, I'm sure they'll figure a way to fit in those 25 calendars in there. Their interest, much like anybody's interest, would be that we should have 30 promoters you know, waiting in line and then we choose 25 of them. So you know, there is right now, or not right now, but a few years, a few years ago, the demand supply gap was reverse, right? The supply was little and then the demand was too much. And they are, of course, working around to, to change that where there is an excessive supply of races that happen. But, uh, they, they, you know, it's then about making sure you choose the best that you can or choose the best that they sort of give you in terms of some terms of money. Absolutely. And as much as, uh, you know, we'd like to see an, see a race in Africa, we'd also like to see a race in India. Uh, but talking about races in India, Formula E is finally coming to India. You know, we'll finally have a home race. Uh, and I think that is the best news that, has, that I've heard this year. Uh, but, you know, the question does arise from that is, you know, uh, I guess switching off a focus to motorsport in India. Why hasn't Obviously, you know, Formula One was in India between uh, 2011 and 2013. But why, ha why haven't other racing series like, you know, maybe Asian Le Mans or Asian F3 and, uh, you know, some, something more reg even regional series not, not come to India before? Uh, and why has it take, 
why has it taken so long uh, you know for them to tap into this market that is sitting there uh, uh, which which can be uh, you know beneficial for both uh, the audience and the promoters so the the thing is you know formula 1 says there are 31 million fans in india and i always wonder where are these fans to be to be honest because if there were 31 million fans uh i think star sports would have figured a way to make money from these 31 million fans it's unlikely to believe that a majority or more than a majority of these fans are streaming illegally and watching races i don't believe that right so they are consuming it on on star sports so the the truth the truth is that the critical mass that follows formula 1 in india is not as big enough for a broadcaster for a series promoter for infrastructure developers to make enough money from right and uh, to to give you a very rude ex- rude example if i had space i would rather build a kabaddi auditorium and host kabaddi games or the pro kabaddi league than make a go kart circuit right because there is a league there is a sport which is developing there are people putting in money star is blowing it up uh and so on but again it's just it's just a you know an example so to 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 my mind it's it's uh motorsport is just not priority for india as a country and uh, it is priority for a very very small uh faction of of indians i would say and uh, what will it take to change that priority i think i think we have more societal uh priorities to sort of focus on than sporting priorities without going into much depth otherwise this will sound like you know a speech when i'm standing for the role of the prime minister of the country or something <laughs> talking about uh, the indian motorsport scene and that small fraction of uh, people who are inter- interested in motorsport obviously we also have the indian formula regional series coming and the indian f4 along with the iame x30 karting series uh, so obviously this is going to have an impact on the indian motorsport scene uh, but what are these series doing besides providing just a better platform and more opportunities for indian racing drivers you know what is the bigger picture that the audience should know about the bigger picture audience should know about is motorsport is fun it's entertaining and there is a lot of racing that actually happens in india as well and you know india in india has a has a has a very now i'm getting political but yeah india has a very different relationship with sport right we are football fans but we prefer to watch the epl than the i league or the isl now i know this is where you know viewers would tune in and say hey but i watch i league and i'm sure dd you coming from the part of the world where i league is really big <laughs> yes. uh would probably you know s- support that but what i mean is the critical mass you know there's always a critical mass it's like uh you know you want to start a uh, you know you want to start uh, making a you know a new product say you're making a ballpoint pen you know that you have to sell 10000 pens a day for you to at least make some money right and that's the critical mass that 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 I'm talking about so the the critical mass is is where i think sports has always faced a challenge non cricketing sport i would say uh, has always faced a challenge which is again where motorsport fans would prefer to watch formula 1 formula e um 
but not watch Indian racing as well. And the one thing that these series do show is there is great racing that happens. There are local names, local brands, local teams involved, all of them doing a great job and that we should go out and cheer for them and support them because they are trying to exist in an environment which not necessarily is the most conducive for for them to operate in, right? And of course, you know, you can say it's a chicken and egg scenario. We don't have the best drivers because we don't have the best infrastructure, but the broadcast isn't the best and so on. But there can be steps taken to, to cohesively build the infrastructure as well. Just that motorsport is so damn expensive as a sport even when it comes to karting and so on. But yes, for everybody listening in from India, uh, please go ahead and support your local team, support your local driver. They may not be a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen, but they are definitely bloody good to be competing at the Indian national level of motor racing as well. Absolutely. Uh, But one aspect of this series, you know, talking about support and how expensive the sport is, one aspect of the series that uh, I would love to point out is that, you know, someone starting the junior series being launched this year can make their way through to Asian F3 through sponsorship uh, by Mumbai Falcons, who are are organizing and other promoters of uh, the series. So can we expect this merit-based sponsorship system to extend, extend beyond Asian F3 in the coming future? Uh, you know, because it will be essential in providing the best opportunities to the best talent, in my opinion. And the system has been clearly very successful in IndyCar, and it remains a pain point for you know European Formula racing. And I think um, Mumbai Falcons. I think Arman Ibrahim did a, a interview recently with F1 Feeder Series, and he came out and said, you know, we'll be in Europe uh, sooner than later. And he he's looking into expanding to not just uh, single seater Formula racing, but also GT racing and endurance racing. So will these pathways open, and will we see see a similar uh, you know ladder for people who are doing well in the Indian motorsport uh, series, I guess. I hope so. I really hope. Of course, I haven't read this interview of Arman's, but uh, if Arman and Aditya are the ones saying these things, then I'm definitely sure that it's going to happen. They know their motorsport better than any one of us do. Uh, The only only thing that uh, is that I think Mumbai Falcons is doing fantastic to promote motor racing as they do, and See, there is always a business interest or a business model behind these scholarships. It's not charity, right? Uh, and I hope that Mumbai Falcons has a strong business model behind these these scholarships that they are planning to work out on and all the promotions that they're doing. Because at the end of the day, if Mumbai Falcons is going to make money, they're going to keep pouring money into Indian motorsport. So I really hope that they have a very strong business model so that they can keep doing what they're doing and then keep building what they want to do within Europe as well. Because, you know, eventually Europe is the place to be if one has to make it big in the world of motorsport. Uh, yeah, that is that is true. Uh, but now let's bring the conversation, uh, you know, let's bring the focus of the conversation to you, Kunal. Let's talk about you and your journey in motorsport. Uh, what was it like, you know, from completing a bachelor's uh, of engineering in, in information technology to being the general manager of marketing and sponsorship at Force India Formula One team. It seems like you made the switch from engineering to marketing and talent management straight out of college. How did that come about? And, you know, um, how, 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 how did the Kunal Shah of today, you know, uh, come about? So, frankly speaking, it was, uh, you know, when I started racing, I, of course, spent more time trying to sell sponsorships because I needed the money to go racing. 
than uh, spend as much time as I would like in the racetrack. So then clearly by the end of it, I realized that, hey, I don't have a career driving race cars. Um, maybe I was good, maybe I wasn't. At least I think I was really great. So anyway, uh, for anybody, anybody driving out there, please believe that you are really great. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. Your self-belief has <laughs> to be absolutely spot on. But yeah, on a, on a more serious note, I always uh, knew that I had a knack of understanding the business of sport. And so once I finished engineering, I decided that's the end of my engineering roadmap. I got the education, but I think like a I think like an athlete, and I I, I think like you know to me I I I always understand concepts uh, when it based on how they would apply to the world of sport, right? And that's how I solve problems in life. I think like an athlete because I played professional sport for twelve years myself, right? So. I knew that I had to get into the world of sports marketing and management. And uh, I started selling sport. I started selling sponsorships for athletes. And one thing led to another. And then I got this call from a gentleman who was hiring uh, captains for Vijay Malia's personal uh, charter jet. And he said, he's looking for a head of marketing for his Formula One team. And I think he would like to have a chat with you. And I said, okay, wow, is this a spam call? That was my first reaction. <laughs> but then one thing led to another. I had a, three rounds of interviews. And then my final um, you know, final meeting with him was at the 2010 Turkish Grand Prix. Um, it was actually, I think that whole planning of the Grand Prix happened before I even had joined the team. So I knew I was, they knew I was going to join. So I was in Turkey and lots of interesting conversations. That's also where we put around the framework of the one from a billion hunt. So that's uh, how it started. I spent five years with Force India, then spent a couple of years with Star Sports with the Pro Kabaddi League. That's why I could give examples about the Kabaddi League as well. And then I said, okay, after 12 years of working, I wanted to take a break. So I went back, studied, and now I, uh, I'm working as... Um, the Vox chef or the broadcast broadcast editor or broadcast director. I don't know what the English translation of that is, to be guru. honest. Uh, no, I'm far from the, being a guru. I'm still a chela, chela of a lot of people. But uh, the so we that's that's just how I ended up doing what I do with Via Sport and. I, I I love it because it's it's like being it's not like being it's doing television journalism. So. I get to write, I get to speak uh, with, you know, lovely guys as you. And then I get to work with, you know, a team of commentators broadcasting official Formula One. That's that's really awesome. I think uh, there's a lot of people out there who would, who'd, who would love to be involved in Formula One, whether, you know, that's through, uh, you know, whether that's working in Formula One or even, you know, through a couple of degrees of separation, uh, if you want to put it that way. But uh, talking about the one from a billion hunt, you know, you obviously organized that uh, yourself. You were uh, leading that. And you must be really proud to see both Jihan Daruvla and Arjun Mani do so well for themselves. Uh, what is it that stood out about them all those years ago that made you go, you know, they are the ones? And what is it about them that has helped them to succeed in this overly competitive sport? Uh, and alongside that, I would also, you know, if you could sh shed some light on the on to what goes on behind the scenes to organize something on such a huge scale. Absolutely. So first thing, Jehan and Arjun, the one thing that really uh, set them apart was talent. They were incredibly talented. 
and they still are incredibly talented. There was also another driver called Parth Gorpade, very, very talented. Just that by the time we caught him, he was a little too uh, old for the world of motorsport to try and help him make some corrections and you know help him grow through the ranks. So Parth was incredibly talented. And of course, the, the age gap between Jehan and Parth was almost seven years at that time, right? So it was always about you know catch them young and watch them grow as as they call it so uh, when it comes to arjun and jehan uh, i remember arjun still has one of the smoothest racing uh, you know behavior behind the steering wheel he was so smooth with his steering inputs and braking it was a, it's still a joy to to watch him race and uh, jehan of course uh, i think i think jehan was uh, Jehan worked harder through through the course of how it was. He and when I say worked harder, I don't mean that the others didn't. I just think that sometimes, you know, it's like all if all three of us were, were to put ten on ten at work, we still bring in different aptitudes of how we yep. put in on that effort. And that's where Jehan Jehan's Jehan's progression through the first season that we ran him in the British Karting Championship was was phenomenal. And anyway, that's how it all how it all started. And then to your second part of your question. Organizing the one from a billion hunt, wow, that that was fantastic. It was so much fun. You know, I had organized something called as a war room within our team, where I had a representative from each team that was working directly with me. So there was media and PR, there was on-ground operations, and there was sporting operations and technical operations and and marketing and sponsorship. And we had Mobile One as uh, as one of our sponsors. And uh, I think eventually there was about 200, 250 people who were putting together the entire, um, you know, one from a billion hunt right from the go-karts to the tires to what fuel we'll use and how we made sure that the carts were equal to the registration to, you know, to training people when there were so many people who sat in in a go-kart for the very first time in their life, for example. Uh, you know, we were involved in pretty much everything. And I had pretty much, it's definitely one of the best projects I've ever worked with because I was I was able to personally be involved with all aspects of it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a massive dream. I really wish that we had a second and a third and a fourth season of that as well. But, you know, for re- reasons outside of anybody else's control, we had to contend with doing just one season or the one from a billion hunt. I mean, I remember, you know, being in boarding school, that was my first year there and um, reading about the one in a billion hunt. And that was just, uh, it was around, you know, when, when the Indian GPs were happening uh, and it was heartbreaking to not be able to attend, you know, one of these events and see uh, for myself as to what it was all about. And obviously Vedant was there with me too. Uh, although we learned about each other's love for F1 a lot later, uh in in high school uh and were taken by surprise but um yeah hopefully in the future you know with with what mumbai falcons are doing we'll have another opportunity kunal this has been an enthralling conversation but before you let you go i have one last question for you um you know a lot of people want to be involved in motorsport uh not just professionally but uh even through you know a hobby or something um but um a lot of people struggle you know struggle to find opportunities what are some of the different ways people could participate in this uh, passion or, you know, love, you know, the love that they have for the sport uh, as more than just a viewer? And for those especially who are trying to aspire and be a part of this industry, what is it that they need to do? Uh, what is a piece of advice that you would give them? First and foremost, um, I would say it's it's fantastic that people want 
to try and work in motorsport. I get a lot of queries myself. And my one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really pleased to get these queries is because there's never a shortage of fun work to do. There's never a shortage of smart people, fun people to collaborate with, right? And the one thing you should do, and as when I say you, of course, I'm now addressing, uh, you know, the, the listeners at large is identify what is the one or two things that you are really good at and want to do. And I really mean one or two really, you know, things to good at. I know so many people who want to contribute to motorsport and they are volunteer marshals. And I think that in itself is fantastic. To give an example, you are so directly involved in, in hosting a motorsport series and hey, what more joy than actually helping series happen, right? And uh, of course, if you want to drive, there are scholarships available. You mentioned Mumbai Falcons, and that's probably the best place to be right now. If you want to get trained in go-karts, I would say going to Rio Racing is definitely uh, the easiest answer to, hey, how do I get trained in go-karts? If you want to be a journalist, start your blog, start a podcast, start tweeting about it, pick a social media handle that, that you want. And then make a plan, try and find where, you know, what's your USP. And uh, there are so many people I speak to uh, that that actually have ended up doing that. Somebody I spoke to, great at understanding data. He started pulling out all the data sheets of races and started making his own graphs. And, you know, people love seeing his graphs now. So, again, he's doing it for fun. Um, there are people I know who said, "Hey, I'm good at I'm great at statistics. I'm great at seeing a race and trying to find some uh, odds uh, or, or you know trying to find some peculiar movements that happen." And they write statistics about uh, motor racing. So the the point is, there is always scope, and there are always very importantly uh, people who will help you along the way. So if you realize, for example, I want to start a podcast reach out to people who already have a podcast like you guys like like me ask you know simple things do i need a mic where do i host my podcast how do i record it and so on and i know that the world is a much open space than it's ever been before and it is only getting more and more open with regards to helping each other so if i can be of any help to anybody listening in just reach out to me via twitter or yeah, I think Twitter is the best place. My DMs are open and then we'll be very happy to be of help in any way as, as I can be. Uh, thank you, Kunal. Obviously, we'll put our Kunal's Twitter handle in the description below. Uh, Kunal, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I hope, you know, we can have another conversation in the future. Um, obviously, we are, we are available anytime uh, to talk about motorsport, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, where or uh, when when it is. But, um, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for coming onto the show and for supporting us uh, even prior to, you know, for when we started, you know, all of this work a year and a half ago. So thank you for that. Um, and uh, Vedan, before, before I wrap up this podcast, one last thought from you, like always. Yeah. I mean, I guess, firstly, thank you, Gunal, so much for joining us and giving us your insights because, you know, from listening from someone within the sport who has been a part of the sport, for so long, it's always eye-opening and we always find, and we did find a lot of, you know, different perspectives to look at things. But I, I guess in the end, as as Divya said during the start of the podcast, this is the most exciting time for motorsports. 
and because we have a lot of new regulations coming in new lot of young drivers coming in and especially for indian motorsports we have jehan and prema in formula 2 and we have formula e in hyderabad coming in and we have the regional formulas formula regionals coming in in india so yeah absolutely i mean i guess it's it's so exciting to get involved in motorsports at at such a level at a podcast right now and yeah thank you for your support kunal as well from from the beginning as as the said thank you it's been my pleasure to to be talking uh, formula 1 and motorsport to you guys and it will be my pleasure to join you anytime uh, in the coming future as well and wish you guys all the best i like i you know i think the the, the name of the channel is pretty fantastic it's got a very <laughs> uh, international plus an indian feel to it so thank you for inviting me to your baithak and offering chai at the very start <laughs> <laughs> it was our pleasure kunal it was our pleasure thank you for joining us once again thank you to our listeners and we'll catch you on the next one